Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 208. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Great show for you folks this week, but first, here's a little promo for something coming up on the Drabblecast that many of you perhaps have been patiently waiting for. Hey, D-bag, it's me, Connor. Listen, I'm trying to sucker up some of that easy government skrilla to fund the next expedition, and I need some help with this damn grant application. What's another good word for synonym? Nutmeg. Really, Nambaran? Nutmeg? What in the crap are you talking about? You just totally pulled that out of your ass, didn't you? You just dropped trow, bent over at a 45-degree angle, and extracted a dripping condom full of nutmeg. Right now, didn't you, Nambaran? That just happened. Right in front of all those little Mongolian boys and girls, in front of the Bennigan's salad bar, or wherever you are right now. Of course Bennigan's has a salad bar. Nambaran, nutmeg has nothing to do with synonyms. It couldn't be further. It's practically the frickin' opposite. It's like the antonym for synonym. And opposite is also a synonym for antonym, now that I think about it. That's kind of cute. Either way, it's a moot point. What do you mean you agree with me that it's an arguable point? Again, Nambaran, that's the opposite of what I was saying. That it's not worthy of an argument. The point is moot, and moot is... A contronym, right. Word that can mean the opposite of itself. Son of a bitch. Okay, you know what? Fuck it, I'll just go with nutmeg. Enigmatic can be a good thing. Why do I need cinnamon? I don't, really. Well, no, the occasional buttery nipple, I guess, but... Why do you... Oh, wait, you thought I said... <laughs> no, no, you mouth-breathing Mongolian troglodyte. I said synonym. <laughs> and anyways, cinnamon and nutmeg are different things too, so you're pretty much worthless. As always, Nambaran, it's been a chore. I'll let you get back to tossing salad at Bennigan's. Peace. All right, where was I? Article 3, Section B, Roman numeral 5. Research Objective... Investigation into the existence and whereabouts of legendary cryptids, particularly of the Nandi Bear variety, particularly of the brain-eating Nandi Bear variety. Location, Kenya. Research design slash methodology, um, nutmeg. No, I already used that. What's another good word for nutmeg? In Search of the Brain-Eating Nandi Bear, with Connor Chodesworth. The Cryptozoological Nature Documentary Miniseries, coming to you next week on the Drabblecast. Oh, happy day. So, this week's show looks at desires and expectations. We all have them. Since we were just wee little things, we expected to be fed, we desired a strict diet of nothing but Captain Crunch. With crunch berries, of course. We expected a roof over our heads. We desired that roof to be the roof of the Technodrome. We expected a driver's license when we passed the driver's test. We desired a car powered by thousands of hamsters. The problem is when your desire starts transforming into expectation. 
Ask any naggy wife or slacker husband, this situation is common in relationships. As we age and as the world ages around us, we have to keep tabs on our desires and expectations, evaluating them and keeping them relevant. For example, with gas prices as high as they are now, there's never been a better time for the automobile industry to start looking into hamster technology. I'm going to go Kurtzweil here and predict hamster hybrid Hondas by the year 2013. So, to start things off, let's listen to a 100-word story. This week's Drabble is On the Inside by Kayla Bash. Kayla's 16 years old. In addition to her decade-long obsession with writing, she enjoys reading, acting, singing, cooking, and dancing. Although a New Yorker at heart, Kayla currently lives and writes in New Jersey. All morning and all afternoon, as the big black clock counted out minutes in neat groupings of five, I looked forward to that avocado. As I lifted it out of my lunchbox, I could already feel its creaminess on my tongue. I set it down on the table and sliced it open. Out flew 3,000 butterflies, singing arias with clear, high voices in a language I couldn't understand, brushing my face with their wings as they flew past. Maybe they were thanking me. Darn it, I thought when they were gone. I'd been looking forward to that avocado. And our feature story this week is Hokkaido Green by Aidan Doyle. Aidan's an Australian writer and Clarion South graduate. His stories have been published in Fantasy Magazine and Weird Tales. Two of his stories have received honorable mentions in Gardner Dozius's Year's Best SF. This story first appeared in Strange Horizons. So without further ado, we bring you Hokkaido Green by Aidan Doyle. <laughs> After his brother died, Hitoshi Watanabe quit his job and decided to walk to the hot spring waterfall at the end of the world. His friends told him he was crazy. You're 53 years old. You're not going to get another job. My brother died of overwork, Hitoshi answered. I don't want that to happen to me. He packed a bag with a few clothes, a sleeping bag, his camera equipment, and his father's photo album, and set out on foot from Osaka. The journey would have taken a few hours in a plane, but a pilgrimage demanded a journey on foot. After two months, he reached the edge of Honshu and took a ferry to Hokkaido. He continued walking towards Shiratoko, the peninsula in the island's northeast. It was summer, and he filled his camera's memory cards with photos of green meadows and fields of lavender. Shiratoko's original inhabitants, the Ayanu, had referred to the peninsula as the end of the world. Hitoshi's father had told him it was where secrets went to hide. Hitoshi had always wanted to visit, but the demands of work meant he had never managed to find the time. When he finally reached the national park, he waited until dark and then walked down the path leading through the woods to the hot spring waterfall. The park was closed for the day, but it was easy to bypass the gate. His flashlight illuminated a sign hanging from a rope stretched across the trail. Closed due to bear sightings. Did bears come out at night? Still, he had come this far. He slipped under the rope and continued down the path. The sound of running water came from ahead. The trail emerged from the woods, and he looked up at the side of a rocky hill. A narrow waterfall trickled down the side of the rock, splashing into a pool of water. 
His father claimed the water here was the most amazing color he'd ever seen, a vivid blue-green he dubbed Hokkaido Green. The water looked inviting, but since it was dark, it was hard to judge the color. He undressed and stepped into the pool. The water was warm, and he let its soothing touch wash over his body. He caught a glimpse of his reflection in the moonlight. He hardly recognized the gray-haired salaryman who peered back at him, a cubicle samurai who devoted his life to doing the bidding of his corporate overlords. A cluster of specks of light appeared near the edge of the woods. Had the park rangers noticed his presence? A brown bear entered the clearing. It walked upright and carried an old-fashioned miner's lantern filled with fireflies. It waddled towards the pool, looking less like a predator than like an elderly sumo wrestler tottering uncertainly towards a bout with a reigning champion. It stopped near the edge of the pool and bowed. It would have been impolite not to return the gesture, so Hitoshi stood up and bowed as well. The bear stooped down and put the lantern on the ground. It fumbled with the straps on Hitoshi's pack and started rummaging through the contents. I have some tinned tuna, Hitoshi said. The bear ignored him and continued to search through the pack. It took out his cell phone and tapped awkwardly on the screen. It walked to the edge of the pool and held out the phone. Hitoshi leaned closer to see the screen. The bear had written a message in hiragana. Hello. Hello, he said uncertainly. Sorry I use hiragana. I never study kanji. That's okay. Can you talk? Bears can't talk. The bear put the phone to the side and eased itself into the hot spring. The bear had dark eyes and its scraggly brown fur was dotted with patches of gray. The two of them sat in silence for a couple of minutes. Then the bear leaned over the edge of the hot spring and grasped the phone. How can I help? It wrote. What do you mean? You look for secret. How do you know that? Hitoshi asked. The bear tapped its nose. You smell like man looking for secret. Hitoshi took a moment to compose his thoughts. When I was a boy, I used to listen to my parents talk with customers in their ramen restaurant. We lived in a small town, and most of my friends were expected to take over their family businesses. Hitoshi's father had been a giant of a man, with bushy eyebrows and shaggy hair. I'll be happy if you work in the restaurant after you graduate from high school, he had said to Hitoshi and his brother. But I don't expect it. You're both smart boys. If you want to get a job in the city, that will make me proud too. Hitoshi glanced across at the bear. It seemed to be listening intently. So my brother and I moved to Osaka for university. We both got jobs with big companies. I developed image processing software for a camera manufacturer. Two years ago, my father called me. Hitoshi's mother had died a year earlier and his father had sounded old and tired. I'd like you to come and visit, Hitoshi. I want to teach you how to cook tonkotsu ramen. It's my best dish. I'm sorry, but things are really busy at work. We have a new camera due to start production next month. It's good to work hard, Hitoshi. Your mother and I always worked hard at the restaurant. But every once in a while, if the weather was nice, we'd close the restaurant. Your mother would go for a bicycle ride and I would go fishing. I have an important job, father. My colleagues depend on me. I'll be home next month for New Year's. Hitoshi was going to say goodbye, but his father cleared his throat. Have you started making black and white cameras yet? 
Hitoshi sighed. His father had been a talented photographer, but refused to use anything except black and white film. I've told you before, Hitoshi said. Cameras are digital now. You can change the settings so the photos are color or black and white. Colors are like dreams, his father replied. If you try and reproduce them, you'll only be disappointed. Hitoshi looked across at the bear. My father died a week later. Sorry. My brother died this year. I don't have any family left. He scooped up some of the water and let it run through his fingers. I want to know my parents' recipe for tonkatsu ramen, he said. Restaurant is hard work, typed the bear. I know, but I'll be the boss. If I want to close the restaurant for a day, I can. Good for customers. My parents' tonkatsu ramen was the best. People used to come from other towns just to eat it. Can you find the secret of how to make it? I can sniff out secrets, but you give me something. What? The bear didn't answer. The tuna? Hitoshi asked. The bear shook its head. Photos. My father's photo album? Not just album. All photos. You won't be able to take anymore. What do you mean? Cameras no longer work for you. Photos and memories were all he had left of his family. Why do you want my photos? Every action creates opportunities. Every action limits your choices. Hitoshi waited for the bear to explain more, but it had stopped writing. Is there anything else I can give you? The bear shook its head. I don't mean to be rude, but I hope you're not going to tell me that to find the secret I have to look within myself or something like that. I'd prefer something more practical, like the exact recipe. The bear nodded. Hitoshi stepped out of the pool and dried himself. He took out the photo album. Is it all right if I have one last look? Of course. He took his time and savored each of the photos. His father's photos of Hokkaido, his mother on her bicycle holding a rose in her teeth, his brother at his high school graduation ceremony, a photo of himself when he was six years old and ready to take on the world, and his favorite photo above all, his family standing together in front of their restaurant. After his father had died, the restaurant had been turned into a convenience store. He handed the album to the bear. When he returned to Osaka, all of his photos were gone. He tried using different cameras, but the screens went blank whenever he tried to take a photo. He followed the recipe the bear had given him. The noodles were even better than he remembered. He used the last of his savings to open a small restaurant opposite the train station near his apartment. He was surprised to find how much he enjoyed cooking. Ingredients were like colors. Depending on how you mix them, you could produce subtly different results. Word spread about his ramen, and the restaurant was always busy. A cooking show sent a reporter to cover the restaurant that people claimed made the best ramen in all of Osaka. After that, there was always a line of waiting customers. But sometimes, when the sky was the right shade of blue, Hitoshi hung a sign on the restaurant's door. Closed due to bear sightings. 
He sat by the edge of the river and thought about his family, but he couldn't remember the sound of his brother's voice, the lines of his mother's face, or the color of his father's eyes. was our story. Hope you hugged your dad today. He's always been like a father to you. Hope all you dads out there are having a good Father's Day, celebrating in style with a salad at Bennigan's. Got a special song at the end of this week's show for all you papas out there. Stick around a bit. So the artwork for this episode, done by Gerald Dye, is pretty awesome in my opinion. Really captures the mood of the story. I wanted to read a little bit from Gerald's blog where he describes the process behind it using the Sumi Air brush technique. Gerald says, I wanted to pay tribute to the artistic tradition in which the story is based, Japan. Some may know that I mostly use Sumi-e ink in my drawings, but this is more based on the qualities that the ink has and not so much on tradition. Sumi-e ink has a wonderful liquidity, never gums up, and smells like earth in a light summer rain. It's made from soot. But the true Sumi-e tradition is one of a calm and a spare hand, and the challenge is to evoke a scene, usually of nature, with the fewest number of marks possible. Ultimately, it's a form of moving meditation, and true artists of the form must place themselves in a state of relaxation before beginning. In preparation to this piece, I tried my hand at this a bit, and I have to say that it was quite an enriching experience. Though I didn't come away with anything I think was exceptional, I don't think that that's the point of this kind of exercise. I typically function on the complete opposite end of the spectrum when creating work, energetically sweeping my pencil across a page when I begin a piece, dancing back and forth from the page as I frantically try and narrow in on a good gesture or composition, then diving into the piece with thousands of little marks as I try to sculpt out the form of the thing in ink. It's a welcome change to stand back, clear my head, and make one clear, rich, decisive mark, and then making another one. It's not really about being careful, that connotes restraint, or about being brash, that would be sloppiness. It's both of these, but also neither. How's that for Zen nebulousness? Yeah, and how's that for a writing analogy too, huh? Drabbles, for example, 100 words exactly, and each one of them counts. Can't be too careful though, but can't be too brash. Just gotta be carefully brash. Save all that rampant and unrestrained audaciousness for your Drabblecast donations. Yes, this is the time when old Norm comes around asking his sugar daddies out there for a little cheddar. This show runs completely off listener support. We'd love to keep it that way and keep making the show better. Help us out, help us pay authors for their work, and help us put these things out each week. We really appreciate it. Hit up drabblecast.org, sign up for a 5 bucks a month automatic subscription, 10 bucks a month, or just donate once in any amount. You might just be next week's kick-ass donor of the week, like... Sandra Odell. Sandra lives in Bremerton, Washington, with her husband, two teenage boy appetites, and two cats. When she's not writing, she's into playing role-playing games, spending time with her family, and thinking about her next story. Her most recent sales were to Bards and Sages Quarterly, Horror Unbound Magazine's Fear of the Dark Anthology, and Andromeda Spaceway's In Flight Magazine. And you've heard her here on the Drabblecast before. Recently, actually, with her story Just Be in the Last Trifecta. Never you mind, Bubba. Never you mind. Thanks, Sandra. We appreciate the support. Alright, folks, it's Twabble time. Twabbles are stories exactly 100 characters, not counting spaces. You should try it. 
Try thinking of it through the Sumi Ed lens. Relax, clear your mind, and get all up in that weirdness. Post it in our discussion forums linked off our website. See what people think. You might be next week's winner. This week, that honor goes to first-timer H.R. Duffenstuff. With this in here, he calls the original chewer of scenery. Abel dead at his feet, Adam's eyes bulged, Shatner-esque, as he bellowed, Cain! <laughs> Shatner-esque. Awesome. All right, folks, that's our show. Remember, it's produced with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means feel free to share it, give it away to bears, whatever. Just don't change it or sell it. Mentioned earlier, our episode artist this week is Gerald Dye, illustrator, cartoonist, designer, and teacher in the Boston area. He recently self-published his first mini-comic, One Android Stories. Check out the comic, along with a lot of other work, at his website, GeraldDye.com. And reminder to all you artsy-fartsies out there, we've got the Drabblecast art reclamation project going on. Artists are going through our episode archives and laying claim to episodes 132 down to whip up cover art for. Shoot an email to Drabblecast at yahoo.com if you want to get involved. Make it attention to our art director, Bo Kyer. He'll take care of you. Okie doke. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of associate editor Matthew Bay, a flock of singing butterflies, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you bears out there to not text and drive.
The cats nestle close to their kittens. The lambs have laid down with the sheep. You're cozy and warm in your bed, my dear. Please go the f to sleep. The windows are dark in the town, child. The whales huddle down in the deep. I'll read you one very last book if you swear you'll go the f to sleep. The eagles who soar through the sky are at rest, and the creatures who crawl, run, and creep. I know you're not thirsty. That's bullshit. Stop lying. Lie the f down, my darling, and sleep. All the kids from daycare are in dreamland. The froggy has made his last leap. Hell no, you can't go to the bathroom. You know where you can go? The f to sleep. This room is all I can remember. The furniture, crappy and cheap. You win. You escape. You run down the hall as I nod the f*** off and sleep. Bleary and dazed, I awaken to find your eyes shut. So I keep my fingers crossed tight as I tiptoe away and pray that you're f***ing asleep.